Thanks. Thanks, team. If you're visiting with us, um, we have been in a series. Normally, we're going, we've been going through uh, for a while the book of James, and we're taking a four-week break from that to go through a, just a series called Re- Recalculating and talking about significant um, areas in our culture that are hitting us. And we felt as a staff that it, was, it would be a good time to just stop and, and recalculate and see, are we going the right direction or not? And we had talked through uh, uh, the sacredness or sanctity of life. We talked through sexuality. Today is going to be a message on uh, pornography. And uh, we sent out a letter, and some of you, if you didn't get that letter or email uh, parents and you've got younger kids here and you're like, I didn't know that. Um, You may see it in your bulletin, but uh, just wanted to give you a heads up on that. And the word recalculating comes from our GPS unit, right? Which uh, first... uh, week we talked about how the GPS unit is um, receiving signals from four satellites. There's 24 in orbit around the earth, but at any given time our GPS is getting signals from four different satellites and constantly getting our position, where we are on planet earth and where we are in relation to the destination we've punched into our GPS. And Obviously, the spiritual metaphor plays out because Christ says, hey, look, you are on this narrow road that leads to life. Follow my directions. Get to this destination, and, and it's going to be life. And uh, the question we have as we go through these topics is, are, are we following the signals God is giving us, or are we now, have we taken a detour because we don't like those signals and we want to go this direction, or we're listening to other signals, and, and that seems like the... The way to go. I I've came across uh, a couple of different pictures of uh, funny GPS stories. Um, people who followed their GPS thinking the GPS knew what it was saying. And uh, the first one is this picture of, of a gal. She was driving at midnight. And uh, you know, we had that funny story of those guys driving to the lake. Well, this gal was following her GPS, drove into a state park, and it kept going as she kept listening to it, drove right down the road, right down the boat ramp, right into the water. Kind of a bummer. Yeah. Uh, the next slide, uh, this is hilarious. I think this is when uh, the iPhone 5 came out. Uh, the iMap had a uh, miscalculation in it. And in Alaska, one of the airports, it was directing traffic onto the tarmac of one of the major airports. <laughs> and literally, most people didn't do it, but there were two people that literally said, It says it, I'm going. And they blew past all these signs, air, you know, big wing, air craft like why would you drive and they literally drove onto the airport runway and uh so then they showed a picture of all the barriers they put up and uh there should have been one that says quit listening to your gps look up um the last one is a picture this is a real bummer this is over in switzerland so i had a picture of a a gal i'm gonna get a picture of a guy because guys are just as bad right so this guy listens to his gps and drives almost up to the peak of one of the swiss alps up in the swiss alps and it kept saying, you know, go this direction. So he kept following it up this thing. And, it, you know, it ended, it went from pavement to dirt. It went from dirt to like a little biking path or a hiking trail. And he kept going and it kept saying, turn around, turn around. He's like, I can't turn around. Ended up having to call rescue. They hooked up heli- a helicopter and had straps all around the van and everything to get this thing off the side of the mountain because they couldn't get it down. So uh, that would be a real bummer um, to say the least. Um, so here we are, recalculating. 
Uh, this morning, we're going to start again with this truth or these several different signals that God says. One is about life and the sacredness of life. Genesis chapter 1, you'll see it up on the screen. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And the idea of this is we are created in the image of God. An image, what does that mean? Well, that is we reflect the image of God in our emotions, our intelligence, our, our morality, our ability to have moral decisions, and uh, also spiritually. So in these ways, we actually reflect who God is. No other being, no other animal on the planet has this except humanity. And it is impossible to overstate the sacredness of each and every person. Not only that, Genesis chapter 2, God then goes on and he says this about what happens and what his design for a man and a woman. He says this, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And last week we talked about sexuality and God's design is for a man and a woman to leave mom and dad to become one. Well, how do you become one? Well, you know, we just talked about the image of God, so we can become one emotionally, we can become one mentally, spiritually, and physically. And that's the idea that God has in mind for marriage between a man and a woman. And the Greek word for this united, this word united, actually when you read into the New Testament, it's, it's glue. So they literally are glued together, right? And God says, you're glued, you're one, and it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's, it's, it's good, and he starts to put these boundaries around it because it is so good, and it's so powerful. It bonds people in, in a deeply personal and intimate way, emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. And to separate that union is like ripping apart two objects that were glued together, as it were. So today, we're going to come back to this whole idea of marriage, but we're going to look at the boundaries in a different context. Last week, we talked more about the idea of sexuality. Now we're going to talk more about pornography. And when you read through the Bible, you'll encounter this you know, two words together, sexual immorality. And if you're part of the church 30 or 40 years ago and, and way be, beyond that back in the day, the word they often would use in the Bible, and they've changed it now, but it used to be fornication. And it was an umbrella term for sexual immorality, and they've changed it now to sexual immorality. When you go to the New Testament, the word is actually pornea, Greek word. If you had the Greek New Testament, why do I say the Greek? Because that's what they wrote it in. The, the original manuscripts were written in Greek. So when you go back and you read what those authors wrote, pornea is word they use, which is what we get pornography from, obviously. And whenever you read this, it's over and over and over again. It's never a good thing. Pornea is never, ever shown to be something good. It's always something evil. For instance, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, the word would be pornea, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, pornea. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, flee from sexual immorality, 
pornea. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sex, the sexually immoral person sins against his own, her own body. And it's an umbrella term that incorporates anything that is sexually immoral. We as a culture have, have made that word and redefined it to be this whole practice of lust. Whether it's visually, in terms of images or reading, that's kind of how we understand pornea today in our time. When Jesus starts to speak about adultery, he does something interesting. And what was happening was there were religious people that were working their way and creating all these rules so that they could get away with all kinds of other sin and yet, quote unquote, still keep the law. And Jesus cut right through it and said, whatever. And he wrote this in Matthew. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent or a man with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her or him in her heart or his heart. Jesus went to the heart of it, right? Where nobody can see, but we know what's going on in here. And he goes right to the heart of it, and he says, even looking at someone with lustful thoughts was adultery. Emotionally bonding with someone that is not our spouse would be adultery, evil, wrong. And God didn't stop it there. He goes on in Ephesians. He says this. He says, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, pornea, or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper before or for God's holy people. A hint. Not even a hint. Like, what's a hint? Well, it's so small. It's like that little tiny gap. You can just, just a hint. And the thing about a hint is nobody sees it. It's all up here and it's all real clean. But he's saying not even a hint of it. You know, what's funny about that, that thought is um, when you think about a hint, whenever we're in the middle of that or if you struggle with that or have had those moments where a thought and I think often what happens is self-defense kicks in and says, well, God, at least I'm not doing that. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm not as bad as that. I'm not like them. And God's over here going, you're looking the wrong way. The line's over here. Is there a hint? Is there, is, is, is just a hint. That's what I'm talking about. You know, what's interesting is in the last probably... 20, 30 years is what science has done and the medical profession has done in understanding the impact of lust, pornography. And what's even more fascinating is that it is only confirming what God is saying in his word and has been saying for thousands and thousands of years. It's dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. Science says pornography is addictive, progressive, and deadly. 
want you to see a clip about how addictive it is. Pornography goes in through the eyes, in through the iris, and triggers a release of chemicals in your brain. Chemicals like dopamine, serotonin, epinephrine, oxytocin. Now this is a science class, but you may, you, know, you may have heard of some of those. Now these are natural chemicals that your body produces. These chemicals are needed. When you do drugs, hard drugs, or look at pornographic material, your brain is overloaded with these chemicals. After you keep looking at porn, your brain gets used to those high amounts and builds up a tolerance. Those same images that once gave you a rush don't have the same effect anymore. In order to get that same rush, it not only takes more of it, but it also takes a more hardcore version of it. Your brain becomes dependent on that rush of chemicals and literally rewires itself to think that that's normal. And so you cannot function without it. That is addiction. The same process happens with cocaine and heroin. They can't stop. I want to just give credit to that website, Fight, uh, uh, fight the New Drug, and it's all about trying to help people understand uh, pornography, the effects of it, and, and how to help other people get out of it. Um, but what's interesting is it is scientifically now proven that's what happens with our brains when we're looking at pornography. It is addictive. It is as much addictive or is the same kind of addiction as a drug addiction, as a chemical addiction, as addiction to alcohol. And, and you, when you start to see that image, you realize why God says this is dangerous. This is why God places boundaries around sexual intimacy and becoming one because it is so powerful. And what Jesus has been saying all along, science is only now starting to discover. And God's like, told you that a long time ago. Not only is it addictive, it's progressive. And just like that guy said, it takes more and more. Just like a drug addiction where after a time, the drug or the hit has to be a bigger hit to get the same level of high. So also with pornography, it has to get more extreme to get the same high. And you start to crave more and more extremes. And, and you start to see this progression from what would be like very tame to more and more explicit into what you would almost, you would cross a line to where Bi the Bible even talks about it's beyond just this. Now you're getting into something that is perversion just to get the same hit. It's not only addictive and progressive, it is also deadly. And very few move into this category. I mean, let's be honest, very few move into this category where they physically go from these, this progression all the way over to taking someone's life. But we see that happen. Where life doesn't matter and you can take someone's life. Jeffrey Dahmer, I don't know if you ever remember that interview with James Dobson. You can get online and watch it. Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, who was a serial killer back in the 80s, I don't know if you remember, remember him. But he talks about the progression and how much pornography had an influence on him. Ariel Castro, that's a guy who lived right up in Cleveland, right? Just in the last couple years. Held captive women. You, you want to talk about deadly. What he did was awful. 
And, and that's obviously extremes, but there's another kind of death that comes, and it's the death of relationship, it's the death of morality, it's the death of holiness. And, and what God says is sacred. You, you no longer see people, women, or men as sacred if you move into this and are viewing pornography. You can't. There's a study done by a journal, a journal called the Journal of Adolescent Health. This is what prolonged exposure to pornography leads to an exaggerated perception of sexual activity in society. Meaning, the more you look at this, it leads you to think everybody does this and this is just acceptable and this is normal, which it's not. A diminished trust between intimate couples. More death. The abandonment of the hope of sexual monogamy. The abandonment of Genesis chapter 2. Why would you even do that? The belief that promiscuity is the natural state. The belief that abstinence of sexual inactivity, or believe that abstinence and sexual inactivity are unhealthy. Cynicism about love or the need for affection between sexual partners. You guys, can you hear the death? Can you see this? The belief that marriage is sexually confining. Lack of attraction to family and child raising. All this death starts to pile on. And this isn't just the Bible. This is science. This is what's verifiable through study and data and statistics. And that's why God puts all these boundaries around it saying, it will kill you. It will kill everything around you that's good. And the signals the world sends out, ironically, is flipping all this stuff into a positive. Right? The world says this, oh, no, 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 that's actually healthy. It's, it's healthy. No, I'm sorry. It's unhealthy to be absent, right? So you, you got to go out there and, and just, you know, you do what you feel. Flips it around. Marriage is sexually confining, so the more freedom you have, the better. Freedom, right? Family, child raising, that's not, not important. Who cares about that? You can just go down the list and flip them over. You know, it's funny what science is saying here. The Bible said a long time ago, the wages of sin is death. That's it. That's what sin pays is death. That's what lust, pornography brings, death. It promises something different, but all it brings is death. I want to get practical here for a second and just kind of talk to you about what steps do we take um, and I want to speak first to parents, uh, grandparents, aunts, uncles, any, any person who watches children. Um, you need to step up. I need to step up and realize we have to protect our children. Do you realize in the last five years or ten years, max, um, oh, got a happy birthday text. <laughs> um, 
There's, there's more on here when you think about it in the history of the world. What, 5,000 years, something like that, 6,000 years? In the last five years, you have more access to pornography than you've had in the history of the world. It's in your pocket. Like, you could put this in your pocket. 30 years ago, it wasn't in your pocket. 20 years ago, it wasn't in your pocket. I mean, it's just come in the last few years that we have incredible access. And it's, that's the problem. We were talking about this uh, around our dinner table. Our, our technology has outstripped our morality. And, and we're not really thinking through everything. And the problem is the technology it leads and opens the door with a word. You could type in a word. It doesn't have to be a bad word. And you can have a fifth grader and a fourth grader looking at what you would say is not only just hardcore, but is in the perversion category. And they didn't even mean to. Parents, if you have children with a smartphone and they're fifth grade, sixth grade, they're in junior high, and you don't have restrictions... You're playing with fire. Even in freshmen, all the way through high school, we're, you know, we're, we're preparing them to launch, so at some point they're going to have to have access to all of it. But we've got to help them. But if you're giving a fourth grader a phone without restrictions, you're playing with fire. Not only that, you might as well just give them some crack cocaine while you're handing out the phone. Because that's how dangerous it is. That's what that says. That's how dangerous that is. I have a story, it's not in our church, not in our town, but a young, a young girl, junior higher, had an iPad, right, tablet, and somehow saw an image or a video, and it was hardcore, and she, she got addicted. Like, you, you, don't, you think, oh, that's not going to happen to a girl. A young girl grows up in a Christian family. How's that going to happen? She got addicted, and the parents were wondering what's going on with, with our daughter because she just went down into depression. Down, I mean, it was just like this girl that was so filled with life was all of a sudden just morose, despondent, depressed, could not figure out what was going on. Finally, I, I don't know how many months in, they finally sat down with her and said, what is going on? And it all came out. She'd been looking to this hours upon hours. Parents, if you don't have restrictions on this thing, you're opening your child up to incredible danger. iPhones have great restrictions. Steve Jobs, um, he had kids, and he built the iPhone and the iPad with his kids in mind. You can shut off the internet with your iPhone and iPad. Androids, I don't know. I, I had an Android, it wasn't as effective. But he did it because he had his kids, and he didn't want his kids to have access to that stuff. That's why when you get on the app store for I, uh, the iApps, they don't have all this pornography. Now, unfortunately, Steve Jobs has died. Hopefully, hopefully Apple keeps that vision of protecting our children. But you can restrict this. And I know your kids may cry, and they may whine. Who cares? You're the dad. You're the mom. Tell them no, you'll pay for their counseling later. I mean, that's, right? I mean, you can say no to your kids. Like, it's not a big deal. The earth got by. I mean, how long did humanity get by without the internet? 
Well, until Al Gore invented it in the 90s, we were, yeah, right? I mean, it really, you think about it, 4,000, 5,000 years, we're, we're fine without the internet. And at some point, you're going to have to lead your kids and say, okay, we're going to start to trust you more and more and handle that. And maybe you put something like a software, third-party software, you download Covenant Eyes, you put it on the app, you put it on your computer, maybe you, you pull all the phones or you pull all the iPads and stuff and you set them aside at night, like at 9 o'clock, you know, I want all the phones, I want all the iPads, nothing good happens past 9, get it over here, right? They'll survive. I don't know. Be wise. And, and then you've got to lead them and teach them and train them and say, hey, look, I, at some point you're going to have to do this on your own, so let's start doing this together and trust them. If you need more uh, resources and help, Pastor Lynn, uh, he was just up here. He could help you out with that. Um, he's got resources, ideas. I know Beth Falkenberg, our children's director, also has. Beth was in here. I saw her. Where are you? There's my peeps right back there. Talk to Beth. Um, and I do want to say, are all children, are all people susceptible to pornography at the same levels? No, obviously not. Some are more susceptible than others. That's why in the beginning you have to be very careful, protect your child, and then as you understand them, you open them up to more and more responsibility. If you are struggling in this area of pornography, and this, this applies to men, Two out of three men struggle with this, and there's a varying degrees of what struggle is. One out of three women struggle with this, and there's a varying degrees of what struggle means for each woman. And this is, obviously, guys are more visual, women more romantic, and you see it more in the, for women in, in the novels and in the chat rooms and in the relational connection and romance. You see it with guys. It's the physical pictures. It's the image. It's the videos. It's the magazines. And if you are into this and you're struggling and you can't get out of it, I, I want to tell you, you're not alone. You're not alone. Even in this room, you're not alone. In this church, you're not alone. And uh, what, what do you need to do? I, I would say, where does this start? It starts with confession. And it starts saying, I need help. And uh, nobody else can do that for you. I mean, it's just, you know, you hear this drug thing, it's the same thing. It's, it's a drug. Treat it as a drug. You need help. And the first thing you've got to admit is you need help. And we're not going to have an altar call here. We're not going to have I mean, people raise their hands. But I want to challenge you. Do not leave this property without talking to someone. Hey, guys, you go to guys. I, I don't think I have to say that, but I, I probably have to say that. Guys, you go to guys. I'm going to a woman. Woman, you're going to a woman. You're not going to a guy. And what you can just tell them, and maybe this morning you can't get into it all, and you can just use this is the code for today. Uh, we got to talk. And if you just tell them we got to talk, that is code for I'm struggling with this and I need some help. Just tell them that and you'll hook up, you'll call them later and get this going. Take that first step to just say we got to talk. I need help. In this room, I'm sure there are those of you who are struggling with this. Your heart is racing right now because you think, I, I think I can see that your heart is racing and, and you're sweating and you're feeling, ah, you're in good company. So this is your struggle. Other people have other struggles. 
confess. Tell someone today we've got to talk. And, and let me just say, I'm also glad that you are here. Where else is anybody going to go to get help? This, this isn't some kind of like just, oh, we just kind of solve it with some manpower, some woman power, we'll get over it. This is a supernatural issue. This isn't something you just get over on your own. It's spiritual. You need power beyond yourself, and that only comes through the Holy Spirit. So why wouldn't we be glad that people are here who are struggling? But this is the only place you're going to get help, right? I mean, Jesus said in Luke, his first words, I came to set people free. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. If you are sensing that God is leading you to confess the struggle and, and you've never been honest about it, even with your spouse, I, I just want to say something very quickly here. Um, you may want somebody to be there with you. That's a possibility. I, you know, pastoral staff or someone in our church, a, a godly man or woman, to help lead you through that because that's, it could be devastating depending on how significant um, you're into this. And I, I want to just encourage you, don't ask for forgiveness in the middle of that confession. Uh, that is not the time to ask for forgiveness. Or you may ask for it, but don't expect forgiveness because your spouse will have just been wounded deeply and is going to need time to process what forgiveness even means and is going to need time to process all that that means because what is true and what's not true and how deep is this and what does this mean? There's a lot of questions and a lot of things that have to be talked through in the weeks following that. Forgiveness is important. It, it must be given, but not at the point of wounding. It comes, it comes shortly after that in the weeks, weeks following that at some point. God is going to lead that. But be careful and don't force that allow space for your spouse to grieve. I, I also just want to end on this, and we'll end in prayer, but if, if you're scared to death to do this, um, it's understandable. I think like anything, I don't know what it is inside of us that is scared to death to say, I have sinned. But it never stops. It is so hard to say I was wrong. It's so hard to say I have sinned. But don't let fear keep you from doing this. And I'm just going to pray over our church here. And uh, if you're in this boat and you're, you're waffling or you're hearing God, and um, just receive this prayer. And, and those of you who may not struggle with this, pray. Pray right now. Don't, don't sit there and say, oh, Lord, thank you. Pray. Pray for people. Pray for people in this room. Pray for our church. Join me here as we close in prayer. Lord, the only thing we have to win in this life, you say, is your power. The power of the blood. power of the blood across washes us clean. It's our theme song. It's all we got. 
Your blood washes us clean. Your body broken for us. Lord, is what breaks the power. The resurrection guarantees it's for us. So in the name of Christ, any voice that says this isn't possible, any voice that is pouring out fear and pouring out uh, escape and pouring out all the stuff that's not of you, Lord, I pray right now you would silence the voice and the only voice in this room is yours that says there is victory and there is strength. We bless each person here who is struggling with this. Lord, you would pour strength in them. You would pour victory into them. Your victory through the cross, your blood would cover them right now. I pray any, for any who have been wounded by this, Lord, would you come and cover them? Would you bring even new healing and new comfort today? Lord, I pray that we would see purity throughout our church. We would see this broken, this cycle of addiction. In the name of Christ, we would see it broken. We would see life pour out in our families and in our marriages and those who are single, and those who are standing for you, Lord, outside of marriage, you haven't led them into marriage, Lord, I pray that you would pour into them strength and courage and hope in you as they seek to live a pure life in your name, Jesus. Oh, Lord, may you find us to be people running to you, a church that does take this serious, a church that does offer grace and truth in the middle of all this. Amen.